Good morning, get well. So very good to be here with you. Hope that you are enjoying some of those uh, warming temperatures and the sunshine outside. It is so good to be able uh, to get outside again. It's just so good for the soul. I've enjoyed it. Hope you have as well. But I want to thank you for being here or watching online, however you're connecting with us today, as we do continue in our series called The Thread. If you're just joining in with us, what we're doing is we're walking through the story of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, from the first creation to the new creation, and we're exploring the thread of Jesus through it all. How do we see God's redemptive plan to free us and save us from sin, to give us life and a hope and a future through the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Jesus? How do we see it? that redemptive plan through all of Scripture. So today, we're finding ourselves kind of in the middle of that series. We're going to be talking about silence. But let's look at where we've come from. So we started this whole series talking about how God created. He created for love and He created for glory. And then He spends uh, hundreds of years reaching out, moving through the life of Israel that they might experience and see His love. He does miracles and wonders and He shapes them as a people. But there's a problem. As much as God continues to call out to the people and invite them to do life with Him, they continue to reject God. They continue to do life their own way. They continue to worship idols. And so time and time again, God has to say, all right, if you want to do life this way, then you can do life this way and you can have the consequences of doing life that way. And eventually they find the people uh, defeated by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and they are exiled to foreign lands. Last week, uh, our associate pastor, Hunter Upton, talked to us about the return, how God in His grace brought a people back into Jerusalem where they rebuilt the foundations of the temple. They rebuilt the city walls. They rebuilt the temple. They rebuilt the city. But again, even as God was calling the people back, even brought them back and blessed them, they continued to struggle to worship God fully. What began to happen in the life of the Israelites as they returned back to Jerusalem as they wanted to have their cake and eat it too. They wanted the blessings of God. They wanted uh, the favor of God, but they still wanted to be in control of their lives. They wanted to do life their own way. They wanted to make sure that they had what they wanted when they wanted it. And so they were worshiping God with their practices, but they were not worshiping God with their lives. It would be like if you and I showed up every Sunday, 52 weeks a year, and we praised God with our hands raised high, and we sang, and we shouted, and we worshiped God, but Monday through Saturday, we forgot Him, and we did life our own way. That's what's happening in the life of Israel. And so God says, if you won't listen to my prophets and you won't pay attention to the miracles and you won't see what I'm trying to do in your life, I'm going to try something else. If talking to you hasn't worked, I'm going to try silence. And this is where we find ourselves in the arc of the, the redemptive story today. So if you have your Bibles, let's take a look. We're going to look at one verse in Amos chapter 8. Amos chapter 8, 
verse 11. One of the prophets of God, and this is what he says. The time is surely coming, says the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread or water, but what? Here it is. But of hearing the words of the Lord. A time is coming, God says, where you will not hear my voice, where you won't get my instructions, where you won't get my word. There's going to be a season of silence in your life. Because I've called you to follow me. I've called you to trust me. I've called you to worship me. I've called you to submit to me. And I've called and I've called and I've called and I've called. But you won't trust me. And you won't follow me. And you won't submit to me. Israel, you think that you are worshiping me. And God continued to speak through the prophets and said, I don't just want your songs. I don't just want your sacrifices. I don't just want your offerings. What I want is a life submitted to me. But you won't do it. You see, the Israelites wanted to worship God in ritual. But they did not want to worship God with their lives. And see, there's a very real danger. Worship becomes dangerous and superficial when we worship God with ritual, but not with response. I mean, think about that. How many of us are tempted to do that? Where we want to, we want to worship God on Sunday, but we don't want to respond with how we spend our money or how we engage in our marriage or how we parent our kids or how we lead at work or what we do in the community. Those things, God, those belong to me, but I'm going to show up on Sunday and I'm going to worship you. And God says, no, 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 no. That's not the way this works. I want all of you. And so he says to the people, okay, if you're not going to worship me with your lives, there's going to be a season. We're going to do this different. There's going to be a, a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And God's response to the people was 400 years of silence. Between the last book of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi, and the first book of the New Testament, the gospel written by Matthew. Between those periods are 400 years where God does not speak, where God does not raise up a prophet, where God does not give instruction to the people. 400 years where God remains silent. But here's the thing is that God is still moving. See, what God was doing was he was issuing a wake-up call. As I've tried to reach out to you through my voice and you weren't listening, so maybe this will work. This is a time for you to pay attention. This is a time for you to wake up because I want to do something in your life. It was a wake-up call, but it was also God setting the stage for redemption. So here's the truth, is that when I deserve judgment, God instead gives grace. 
This was not just an act of God's judgment saying, well, I'm angry with you and so I'm gonna go over in my room and I'm gonna pout for a while until I get over this so I can come back and talk to you without losing my temper. That's not what God was doing. God wasn't pouting. God wasn't slamming them. God was setting the stage to do a new work because he knew that the people of God would never figure this out on their own. The people of God would never be able to redeem themselves. The people of God would never be able to change their hearts and minds, that God had to do a new thing. And what we know, we've heard the end of the story, is that this was always God's plan to do a new thing. And he was setting the stage and he does that in our lives. I wonder how many times where we deserve judgment, but God gives grace by setting the stage in our life that we could receive salvation and freedom and life and hope and love through Jesus by faith in God's son, our savior. He sets the stage by bringing people into our life to love us and to challenge us and to speak truth into us. He sets the stage by creating circumstances, maybe to pull those things away from us that are blinding us to what God is doing. God may change your job circumstance or he may change a relationship or he may change your financial circumstance, but he's creating the stage. He's setting the stage that he can do a new thing in your life if we'll pay attention. And this is what God was doing here. Paul actually talked about this after Jesus showed up on the scene, after Jesus died and rose from the dead. He was writing a letter to the church in Corinth and he wanted them to understand just what God had done. And he said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. For God says, and here it is, at just the right time, God is saying, I, hear, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. He's quoting from Isaiah here. Indeed, Paul says, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. What is the right time that Paul is talking about? He's referring to this truth that through these 400 years, God was literally setting the stage. God wasn't just trying to figure things out. God wasn't reacting to what people were doing, but in God's power and love and wisdom and sovereignty, God was using the stage of history to bring Jesus into the world at just the right time that he was using political powers and the culture and everything happening in the world to set the stage for Jesus. Now, how did God do this? A couple of different ways. One way that God set the stage was through a language called Koine Greek. Now, what is Koine Greek? As we've been reading through the Old Testament, we've been reading through the exile, we've read through the return, and we saw how uh, because of their sin, Israel had been divided, a northern kingdom of Israel, a southern kingdom of Judah. Israel was defeated by the Assyrian Empire. Judah was defeated by the Babylonian Empire. After those two empires rose up a new empire called the Persians. And we read how King Cyrus and the Persians and Darius I allowed the people to come back to Jerusalem to rebuild. After the Persians, there were uh, the Medes, the Greeks. And there was this amazing, powerful leader that you probably read about, heard about uh, way back in eighth grade history, or you've seen a documentary, or maybe you watched a, a cheesy action movie about this guy, a guy named Alexander the Great. 
And for a short season, Alexander was an uh, ambitious and powerful and great leader. And he was such an ambitious leader that he expanded his empire faster than anybody had ever expanded their empire before. And the Greek empire was all over the world. And Alexander looked at his empire and he said, if I'm going to remain to keep control over all of these people, I've got to be able to communicate. I've got to be able to send out decrees and instructions and laws all over the empire. And so Alexander did one very amazing, intelligent thing. He, he issued a single language for all the empire, the language of Koine Greek. If you've read the New Testament letters or the letters of Paul, you've benefited from this single language of Koine Greek. Now, why did God use this? Why did God allow this to happen? It's because think about it. Jesus shows up on the scene. He does miracles. He heals. He raises people from the dead. He feeds 5,000 with a few loaves and a few fish. He does these incredible things. He says, I'm going to go give my life. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And then he did it. And he went into the tomb and three days later, he rose from the dead and he's got these disciples and the Holy Spirit comes and moves and they've got a story to tell. They've got a story to tell about the Savior of the world. And they've got to tell it to the world. Jesus told them, you're going to go throughout the whole world to all tribes and all nations and tell them about the risen King, the risen Lord Jesus. And now they've got a language to do it. That they were able to quickly and with great impact, travel all over the known world, telling people about Jesus in a language that they could understand. And they could write the story and send it out in a language that they could understand because God used a man named Alexander the Great to set the stage for his gospel to go out. Another thing that God did during this 400 years was called, number two, here we go, the Roman roads. After Alexander, he was a short-lived ruler. And after him came the Romans. And it was an empire like no one had ever seen. And they were more powerful than any had ever, ever seen. And the Romans wanted to not just have an expansive power, but they also wanted to have expansive wealth. They wanted to have expansive culture. They wanted the people in their empire to thrive. And one of the greatest ways that you do that is you travel and you bring commerce and you bring money and you bring art and you bring culture throughout your empire. And to be able to do that, they knew they had to have a grid, a reliable transportation system to get those things all over the empire. And so they created a state-of-the-art road system all over the empire called the Roman Roads. If you go over to Israel, if you go over to any part of that world today, you can still see some of the remnants of these first century Roman roads. Now, why did God do this? Jesus comes, he lives, he dies, he rises again. The people have got to get the message out about who Jesus is. Now, not only do they have a language to do it, but now they've got a reliable transportation system to travel all over the known world with the good news, the gospel of Jesus. You get, you get little pieces of it, remnants of it, even in the letters of Paul and in Acts where a disciple is traveling down to Africa uh, and they, they meet somebody and they share the gospel or they're traveling north or they're traveling to the coast 
And they were doing so on these Roman roads. A third thing that God did during this 400 years of silence is called Pax Romana, Roman peace. Again, God used this empire of Rome with all of their ambition and all the things that they thought were their agendas and their ideas and things that they wanted to do to be able to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Romans were concerned, again, how do we make this an empire of wealth and culture and thriving? We need not only roads for people to travel on, but we need to establish peace throughout all of our empire. And so they established soldiers and groups of soldiers and legions of soldiers all over their empire to do one thing, to establish peace. To make sure there would be no uprisings, there would be no civil war, there would be no battles, that there was peace throughout the empire. And now Jesus shows up, he lives, he dies, he rises again. They've got a story to tell. They've got a language to share it. They've got a reliable transportation system to travel. And now they can do it safely. That they can travel all over. That people like Paul that we're going to read about in a few weeks can travel to other parts of the world and know that he can actually get there safely that he can get from point A to point B with the good news of Jesus Christ. So here's the thing, is that God was silent for 400 years, but God was not distant. Even though God did not speak, God was active setting the stage for a new thing. And your life and mine, I wonder how much of the time we miss what God is doing because he's in the work of setting the stage for the new thing that he wants to do in us or maybe through us or around us through Jesus and what he's done for us. So here's the big question. When I cannot hear the voice of God, how do I hold on to the truth that God is still at work? Here's what we do. When I cannot hear the voice of God, I need to use my other senses. In particular, when I cannot hear God, perhaps it's time to look for God. Let me offer up a few ways that we do this. Number one is that we need to look around. Look around. What are the things that God is doing around me? When I cannot hear the voice of God, I need to look around me for the activity of God that I can understand and trust and hold on to that even when I don't hear God's voice, I know God is present and God is powerful and God is active. He is working in my life to do something for His glory and my good. So pay attention. When you can't hear the voice of God, pay attention. How is God moving in miraculous ways? You see, we will see what we look for. What you search for, you will find. So if you're going to look for God's activity in your life, I promise you, you will find it. Where are the miracles? The miracles of healing, the miracles of provision, the miracles of circumstance, where things line up in just an order that it could not be anything other than God. Where is the redemptive story of God at work in people's lives where somebody was addicted, where they were broken, where they were in chains, where they did not have hope and all of a sudden God is moving them into life and purpose and grace? Where's the redemption? 
Where's the transformation in people? Where, is, uh, where are the faithful of people of God? And how do we hold on to their faith when we can't muster up faith? And how do we see them following God? Where's the evidence of God in a sunset or in a newborn baby or in the nature around us or the very breath or heartbeat, the, the magnificent nature of our bodies and our minds and our souls and the way they interact with each other. Pay attention to the evidence. When I cannot hear God, I need to look around. I also would encourage us to look in. To look in. When I cannot hear the voice of God, I need to look for how God is working in me. So here's the thing. Is that you might be in a season where you're struggling to hear the voice of God. Where you're struggling to say, I cannot pinpoint clearly and definitively what God is saying to me right now. And I want to encourage you that that's okay. It happened in the Bible. As we read through Scripture, if you've been following along in the reading plan... Like it's so tempting for us to read through scripture and it seems like just bam, 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 one after another that God is moving and God is speaking and God is doing another miracle and God is doing this. And often in the lives of the faithful people we read about and it seems like one after another, there were years, if not decades, in between one instruction and the next. It's okay. Be faithful to the last thing God said until the next thing that God says. Be faithful to the work that God has done in me. Be faithful to the wisdom that God and the lessons that God has taught me. Be faithful to the transformation of the way I think and the way I feel that God has done in me. Don't go backwards. Keep moving forward. Hold on to the work that has happened in me until God does the next thing. Because it just might be that God is setting the stage for the next work he wants to do in me. So look in. And then finally, I want to encourage us to look up. Look up. No matter what we're walking through, no matter what we're experiencing, I know one thing. God is still God. And who God was 2,000 years ago is the same God that we have today. And he's the same God that we'll have 2,000 years from now. He's the same God that we will have forever and ever and ever. The reality is that we have an eternal God. It doesn't just mean here moving on into the future, but it's here moving on forever and ever and ever into the past. And God is the same forever in the past as he is forever in the future. And the God that we serve is always worthy of worship. He is always worthy of submission. He is always worthy of our pursuit. No matter what we might be experiencing in this moment of history, our eternal God is the same and he is faithful and he is good and he is loving and he deserves all of me and all that I can give and all that I can bring. And so even when I can't hear, I'll look up and I'll raise hands. I'll bow before him and say, you are still God. And I pursue you because you pursue me. This is who God is. He's the God of pursuit. 
He's the God who makes a way where there is no way. He's the God who makes the curves straight, where he levels the mountains, where he brings water to the desert, where he brings life to the death. He brings all good and new things. And the God who loves us and pursues us wants us to see it. God never leaves us without a way to find him. Whatever might be happening, See, the God who sent Jesus into the world, and I'm so excited, we're gonna dive deep into this next week. The God who sent Jesus into the world to introduce us to the kingdom of God, to be the face of God, to be the voice of God, to do miracles, to heal, to raise the, 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 the dead to life, to do miracles, to turn water to wine, to feed 5,000. That Jesus who showed up, the son of God, to give his life, to die a criminal's death on the cross for us, to rise from the dead. He did all those things as a part of God's plan, but not just to wipe the slate clean, but to be a clear expression of God's love for us. What Jesus came to do, he wanted us to see. We need to understand that church. What Jesus came to do, he wanted us to see and he wanted us to see it so that we could receive it. And so God had been setting the stage for thousands of years through the prophets, through the life of Israel, through his word, and then through Jesus. As you read through the gospels, you cannot miss it. Jesus kept telling the disciples, you don't understand it now, but I'm going to Jerusalem because I'm gonna give my life for you. And if you're gonna follow me, you've gotta take up your cross and you've gotta to die to self because I got a whole new life for you. And this is what's coming. And I want you to see it. I don't want you to miss it. And he just kept pointing the way and he kept pointing the way. And he said, this is what I want you to watch for. And that's what God is doing in our life. He's always setting the stage for the new thing, for the new work he wants to do, the redemptive work he wants to do through Jesus. Will we see it? Are we paying attention? Jesus was always, always, always pointing ahead. He wanted us to see. He wanted the disciples to see. That is one of the reasons why the night before Jesus was to give up his life, before he was arrested, before he was tried before the Sanhedrin, before he was beaten and mocked and stripped, before he carried the cross, before he died and entered the tomb, he had a meal with his disciples, a Passover meal. And he wanted to make sense for them what was coming the next day. And we're going to come and we're going to celebrate in just a moment that same meal, the Last Supper, the Eucharist, communion, where we join with God and we receive the promise that God has given for us what we could not provide for ourselves. He gave his son Jesus to be the body and be the blood. As we take it, here's my encouragement for us. See it so we can receive it. Pay attention. God is pointing the way for what he's done and what he wants to do.